Hello from La Roba Capitals. Hope you're well. So, very unfortunate story. We had a political uh, or a presidential candidate, a politician in Ecuador, who was assassinated yesterday. And I know a lot of you may be thinking, oh, well, that's Ecuador. Who cares? But I think this is something that's very important for Americans, uh, people in the West, or really whatever country you live in, to be cognizant of. And I'll tell you why. But first, let's get into actually what happened. A very sad story. And as someone who has lived in Ecuador back in 2013 or so, spent a lot of time there, got a lot of friends there. Uh, a lot of the friends that I have, uh, Angie and Joaquin, are Ecuadorian. And uh, Sebastian, who still works for me, is Ecuadorian. He's in Quito, actually, as we speak. And I called him to get some intel on this story prior to going live. So I'll share that with you guys in just a moment. Let's get into the story here. And uh, this was the gentleman, Fernando Via Vicencio. And uh, he was on the right, I guess, if you want to call it that. He was an investigative journalist. And I guess he became a politician. And he was very anti-corruption, very anti-drug uh, lords. And um, he paid the price. His, his political campaign was, it's time for the brave. I'm starting, I'm reading here from this uh this is from BBC, I believe. Yeah, from BBC. Ecuador politician murdered prison gangs in terror reign. Five years ago, the words Fernando Via Vicencio shouted into a microphone at a campaign rally just moments before he died in a hail of bullets. Could have been dismissed as exaggeration, a rhetorical flourish. But Wednesday, they proved to be prophetic. And so why, and one of the reasons why this is such a big deal, not only is a, a politician just being gunned down, but it's in broad daylight. He had a massive uh, police protection, and it was in the capital, Quito, which is a city I've, I've been to many, many, many times. Uh, they say that his assassination is not an isolated incident. Mayor shot a mayor shot as he was inspecting public works. Bodies strung from bridges, gang leaders publishing videos in which they threaten to kill politicians unless they do their bidding. A seemingly seemingly endless litany of violence has dominated the headlines in a country pre previously known for its safety. Yeah, when I was there back in 2013, it was like, I mean, you didn't hear about there, there was none of this stuff. I mean, it was, uh, I'm sure still is, a big spot for expats, for retirees. A Cuenca, very popular. The coast, Salinas, and up in alone in Montanita, where I was. Very, very popular with expats, retirees, um, for just its low cost of living, its safety, its health care, all the things that, that you would want as a retiree. So I called Sebastian, who is actually in Quito right now. And I told him, you know, how the media was portraying this. And I asked him, is it accurate? Are they spinning it? You know, what's really going on on the ground there? And he said, no, this is very accurate. He said, uh, it's just, it's complete chaos. I said, you know, what's kind of the atmosphere? And he said, well, 
obviously it's a big deal that the guy got shot, but uh, said honestly, people are more worried about their own safety, and it's not just as a result of this assassination, but maybe even more so what has happened since call it 2018, 2019. They go into some statistics here. In 2018, the murder rate stood at 5.8 per 100,000 inhabitants. A majority of the population told Gallup poll they felt safe walking alone at night. Yeah, and I, again, I've been in Quito, Guayaquil, Cuenca, Salinas. I've been walking around there at night. It was just no big deal. I'd feel just as I, w- I would have felt just as safe there as walking around in Phoenix. By 2022, though, Ecuador's homicide rate had more than quadrupled, and Ecuadorians' perception of safety plummeted, along with their confidence in police to keep them secure. It is safe to assume that poll conducted now, the percentage of those who feel safe would be even lower. Yeah, and, and Sebastian confirmed this, and also, maybe a few months ago, I was talking to Angie and Joaquin, and uh, I was talking to them about going back to Ecuador just for a trip. And they said, no, we're, we're, and they're from Ecuador. And they said, no, not a good idea. That's not a place where we really want to take our kids right now. So I think the question becomes, why? What is the catalyst? So we could go down to this entire article and they put the blame on drug dealers. Okay, maybe. They say because... Uh, the Colombia was kind of pushing out FARC or because they came to an agreement with them, then some of the more uh, rebellious rebels, <laughs> if you will, kind of moved to Ecuador. They're working the Mexican cartels. They're working with all these conglomerates around the world uh, to get them cocaine or whatever it is. I, I believe that is true, but I think there's more to the story. And as Americans, we have to understand When global governments locked their citizens in a cage, when they shut down their economy back in 2020, you knew that there would be a heavy price to pay. Now, in the United States, I think we're going to be paying that price for a long, long time. Socially, financially, when it comes to inflation, and the precedence that it sets for the government to intrude on your daily life, monetary policy, fiscal policy, etc. But in the United States, you had stimulus, stimulus checks. In Ecuador, you did not, nor did you in Colombia. In fact, very few places had the stimulus checks. And I don't know that of any place that had them to the extent that they were given out in the United States. So let's just kind of rewind back to 2020 for a moment and just imagine a United States where they did not hand out stimulus checks. They didn't do PPP. They didn't do any of these things. Now, I would argue that uh, there should not have been any bailouts. Actually, you know what's interesting about those stimulus checks? I I think, I don't know what side of the, uh, I would land on, but I think there is a good argument because if the government is going to force you to shut down your business, there should be compensation there. If the government isn't going to allow you to go to work, now, obviously, I don't think they should have done that in the first place. Uh, What should they have done? Well, in my opinion, they should have let people be. They should not have forced people into a cage. They should have let them go to work if they want to. They should have been honest about the statistics. They should have been honest. They should have disclosed every single thing that they know about the cervasa sickness. And then they should have given a warning that they 
feel that was appropriate, but they should have let people make their own decisions. And I would argue that if they would have let people make their own decisions, that we would be far better off today as a result. And I would say the same thing for Ecuador. I would say the same thing for Colombia. You know, part of the reason where I'm going with this is I think part of the reason that you had such a a dramatic change from 2018-19 to 2022-23 is because the government policies regarding the cerveza sickness. And when you're going to force poverty upon people, they're going to get pissed. And you're going to have unintended consequences. And people are going to feel hopeless. And when they feel hopeless, do they turn to organizations like this that give them some form of hope? When I say this, I mean uh, gangs. The answer is yes, especially young men. And I think the further, the, the overall message that I want to communicate with this video is that when you have these fundamental shifts in society that are thrust upon the average Joe and Jane from the government, whether it's a war, whether it's lockdowns, some, some massive event, you're going to have some severe unintended consequences. And a lot of times those consequences show up years and even decades later. And unfortunately, I think that because of the policies that were implemented, not just by the United States, but these global governments in 2020, we're going to be paying that price, whether it's through social unrest, whether it's through inflation, whether it's food scarcity, whether it's uh, geopolitical violence, it, it's going to, it, it, it created a powder keg or it lit an existing powder keg that otherwise would not have been lit. And again, I'm talking about these global lockdowns that just decimated economies and decimated the poor, the middle class. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So let me show you something else here. Uh, going back in history, this is hyperinflation of Weimar, Germany. So if you haven't studied history, maybe you have, um, you'll probably, if you've studied this, you'd remember that this was really a result of the Treaty of Versailles. So you had World War One, and, uh, you know, the result of World War One was obviously Germany losing the Treaty of Versailles, where they were required to make reparations 
but not just in their own local currency, reparations in a mark that was backed by gold. So they couldn't just print their way out of it. Now, I'm not saying that Germany didn't deserve this or anything like this, but, but I'm just saying that you go through one of these um, cataclysmic events that's just global, whether it's the, res- the government's response to Cervasa sickness or whether it's a world war, it's, uh, it, it, I, I believe it has a similar impact. And so because of uh, Germany losing the war, they got to sign this treaty. They have really no way out but to uh, print money to buy a, a solid currency or buy gold to make these reparations, which is one of the reasons, one, that they experienced hyperinflation. Now, there were a lot of variables. They were printing money long before this. They were printing money to go to war to begin with. And I remember doing a whiteboard video on this where they're average increase in overall money supply was running at 60% per year. And this would have been prior to 1919 and prior to having the the Treaty of Versailles and prior to having to make these reparation payments to begin with that I believe started in 1921. And then as most of you know, as a result of this hyperinflation, we fast forward a decade and now what do we have? Now you have the political party that I can't really name on YouTube it takes over in, I believe it was 1933. And by the way, when they took over that one polarizing political figure that you guys know who I'm referring to there, uh, we'll just call him the German dictator of the 1930s. Uh, most people believe that he just kind of forced his way into power. He didn't, he was elected uh, democratically and uh, he had a minority vote but there was like four or five politicians running. So even with uh, under a 50%, that's why I meant by minority, under a 50% vote, he still won. And then his political party came to power. And as a result, that takes us into the 1930s and that takes us straight into World War II. So World War I, you had this domino effect. You had this butterfly effect, if you will, turns into the Treaty of Versailles, turns into hyperinflation, turns into the German political party of the 1930s, turns into the Holocaust, turns into World War II, etc. Then, of course, from there, I think if you want to take it even a few steps further, that takes us right into Bretton Woods. That takes us onto the dollar, the the quasi-gold standard, if you will and dollar officially being world reserve currency. And that takes us right into the Euro dollar system, which you could blame the GFC on. So I guess the question becomes, if we would not have had World War I, would we have had the GFC in 2007? Maybe, maybe not. But you see where I'm going with this is, I don't think you should lose sleep over this, but I think this is something to be cognizant of, that What we did, what the global governments did in 2020 was effectively the exact same thing as a world war as far as its level of impact on society and the global economy. And therefore, we should expect that over the next few years, maybe even the next decades, that we will still be paying for those bad decisions. We will still have unintended consequences come up as a result. Hopefully it won't be World War III, but I think this, uh, what's going on in Ecuador right now is a direct reflection of that. And I think that you could see, um, 
again, I'm not saying there's going to be assassination in the United States or anything. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that you could see further unrest. You could see more inflation. If you see, um, and I'm not talking about the near term, I'm talking about over this decade. And if people have a hard time paying for food, if people have a hard time putting a roof over their head, usually that means they get out the pitchforks and the torches and they go to the streets or maybe some of the younger men go into gangs, they go into drugs, they do things that are, let's just say, unproductive and society as a whole has to pay a price. All right, guys, uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, and free market capitalism. Uh, We are imperfect humans living in an imperfect world. But the best system that we have is small government and free markets. And although there would still be bad things that would happen, uh, it would minimize them to the best that we could hope for, understanding that uh, we're just imperfect people in an imperfect world. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next video.